When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Yeah, so there's a couple of different things I want to do. I want to take a look at some draft stuff. I also want to take a look at some stuff that we've got in the insider piece that's up at Horns 24-7 right now. Uh, And also take a look at a piece that my colleague Brad Crawford did at 24-7 Sports looking at uh, an AP poll projection for 2023 and what that Associated Press Top 25 might look at. So right now, though, I want to go ahead and start with uh, a little bit of NFL draft talk. And, Cam, it seems like every time I look at an NFL draft, I look at a mock draft, Bijan Robinson's creeping up there in mock drafts. And when I say creeping up there, the you know, the consensus at this point is he's going to go in the first round. It's just a matter of where. And if you look at one of the latest projections, uh, this is Ryan Wilson at CBS Sports. He's got Bijan. Again, I've talked about this as kind of the target area for him. 21 to the Chargers. Now, say what you will about the Chargers. Brandon Staley, the coach that I think on any given Sunday probably does more to get himself fired than any other coach in the league. There's a difference, Cam, between being aggressive and being reckless. Brandon Staley seems to continually, as a... as the late great Charlie Murphy would say, a habitual line stepper just continually steps over that line from I'm going to be aggressive to just being flat out reckless. But when the Chargers are right, when they're locked in, we know they're really good. And assuming you know Mike Williams is good coming back off that injury, you know you've got one of the best young quarterbacks in the league in Justin Herbert. You had Bijan Robinson to that offense, Cam. I think that's a team that's got the goods to compete with the Chiefs in the AFC West if you throw Bijan into that mix. Yeah. I don't I – don't. the Staley thing's a big part of it because, like you said, he's a coach that when I watch on Sunday, it's like, does he know he has three timeouts? That's a pretty, that's a pretty big deal. Like, well, I don't know about the head coach. That's why I say, man, this house is great. Everything looks good. I mean, the foundation sucks, but everything else about this place is great. And with Herbert, I mean, he's – I would say, you know, Mahomes is probably the most talented quarterback in the league, right? I would have Herbert as two. His arm talent. You're talking about just in terms of just talent at the position. Yeah. I, hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. I I would be really tempted to go Joe Burrow at two. Okay. Uh, No argument there. But he's definitely. But yeah. Definitely he's, top five. He's no worse. Yeah, he's in the top five somewhere. I, I would if I'm ranking the just the talented guys in this league, I would probably go. Yeah, I'd probably go. Because I would even have Herbert ahead of Josh Allen. I would probably go Patrick Mahomes one, Joe Burrow two, Justin Herbert three, and then probably finish it out with Josh Allen and uh, and Trevor Lawrence in the top five. Okay, I wouldn't put Justin Fields in there yet. I just think I think Trevor Lawrence. You almost have to give him a. Mulligan for his rookie year, just with the Urban Meyer, the S show that was the Urban Meyer experiment in Jacksonville. 
Um, set, him, set him a year back for sure. But, you know, regardless of what you think about the Chargers' odds, <laughs> see, I knew this was coming. Herbert at two is ridiculous. I, he's in the top five somewhere. Say what you want. And I, th- I, think, I do think, Cam, you're right. The Brandon Staley thing does cloud how you would view the Chargers. But the bottom line here, like, forget about the Chargers for a second. Let's just put off NFL conversations. Just put that off to the side. If, you, if you're a team that's going to trade up for Bijan or try to maneuver your way to get Bijan, I think if you're a team in the teens that has been linked to him, you know, the Eagles at 10, I think maybe even the Patriots at 14, I think you're looking at probably maybe a trade back scenario to the late teens, probably like with Tampa Bay at 19, uh, you know, maybe maybe Pittsburgh at 17 because the Steelers really don't need a running back. Maybe, they, maybe there's something none of the Steelers historically don't trade up unless there's something that they really, really want and it would have to be something that they really, really want. But if you're going to get Bijan, I think you've at the very least got to get in front of the Chargers at 21. Yeah. Or maneuver yourself to where you're in that like 17, 17 to 20 range to get Bijan. And if you're the Cowboys, I don't, I, I as a Cowboys fan, as much as I love Bijan, I don't want to see them make that trade up. I would rather see them stay put because this is the first draft in a long time, Cam, where the Cowboys are going in because they signed Ronald Jones, and you know Tony Pollard is going to come back from the entry. They don't enter this draft with, like, a glaring need, a glaringly obvious need. Like, they can can they help themselves with offensive line? Yeah. Interior defensive line, can they help themselves? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, could they could they help themselves if the right safety falls there? Yeah, even though I don't think they would do that. Knowing Leighton Vander Esch doesn't have much of a shelf life if there's the right off-ball linebacker there. Could you go that? Yeah. So there's a number of different ways that the Cowboys could attack it. I just don't want to see them give up like the kind of draft capital they would have to give up to get in front of the Chargers to get Bijan Robinson or trade with San Diego at 21. San Diego. Trade with, trade with L.A. at 21 to go get him. If you're the Eagles, uh, I think maybe you can – package some different picks and maneuver yourself because let's be let's face it there's not a whole lot the Eagles need running back is pretty much the one thing that they need so I just think it's it's good Cam that it reinforces you I feel like anytime especially in the last several years anytime you get a Texas guy that you think might be a first round guy there ends up being either stuff that comes out or the the draft board or something comes out at their pro day, you know, Connor Williams, it was his arm length, or just the way the draft falls, those guys typically start falling into the second round. And usually by around this time, about a month to three weeks out from the draft, you start to realize, all right, man, that guy that we thought was going to be a first-round pick probably isn't going to be a first-round pick. Osai for me. Joseph Osai. Sam Cosme was one of those yeah. guys. Connor Williams was a guy that we talked about. There was a time where Connor Williams was projected by some to maybe be in the mix to be – and number one overall pick. And I think that was drinking a little bit of the Kool-Aid off of his sophomore year, which, again, said it before I'll say it again, how many offensive linemen has the veer and shoot offense produced, that Art Briles veer and shoot, how many offensive linemen has that system produced that have gone on to be productive linemen in the NFL? Not very many. But I just love the fact that this reinforces that that drought that we talk about with Texas of no first-round picks, haven't had a first-round pick since Malcolm Brown in 2015, that streak is going to end this year with B. Jones. Somewhere in the back end of the first round, it's going to end. So I just really, really dig that. Cameron, is there anything first-round draft-wise? You're a Cowboys fan, right? Yeah. The Cowboys right here, and see, I like like this position too. This mock draft from Ryan Wilson has the Cowboys going with Luke Musgrave, the tight end out of Oregon State. 
tight end. There, there's going to be a really good tight end, should be a really good tight end available to them at 26 if they want to go down that road. So are you taking tight end at first? I I just trust my board, and I take best available player. Like I said, if you told me they went with an offensive lineman or an interior D lineman or a tight end, I wouldn't have a problem with it. The only thing, I, honestly, the only thing I might have a problem with would be is if you trade it up to go get somebody like a Bijan Robinson. Yeah. And it's nothing. I love Bijan. It's nothing against Bijan. I just think if you're the Cowboys, you've done good by yourself to build this roster by trusting your board, hanging on to your draft capital, and making really good decisions. And I just don't want to see them go the other way and just, again, start robbing Peter to pay Paul and sacrificing your future for the here and now. Especially, like, whatever Tony Pollard is going to be and Ronald Jones, that's good enough to at least get you through another year to where maybe you can figure out running back. And, and you know, maybe, hey, I think Roshan Johnson in the second round, if the Cowboys really want a running back, Roshan Johnson in the second or third round makes a lot of sense for the Cowboys. My, my wish list for the first four rounds, and it can be in any order. I don't care, Jerry and Steven, but I want to see a tight end pick. Are, are, the, are the Cowboys listening right now? You can't be Probably, to make sure they got uh, yeah, a, make a sure paper. Jerry Jones has the Horn Jerry's, FM podcast. Jerry's got his big chief tablet out ready to jot this down. Running back, interior defensive lineman, offensive line, and then tight end. Now, Jerry said earlier this week, last week, that it's going to be Tyler Smith at left tackle and Tyron Smith at right. He's going to have Terrence Steele, who had a great year last year, especially in run blocking as a swing tackle. Show of hands to any Cowboys fan that thought Terrence Steele was going to be a really big part of this offensive line mix a couple of years ago. No hands? I see no hands in the air. But he's turned into it, so I'm curious, what what is – do you go after a center with Biotic at center, even though he was technically a pro bowler last year? Have you put any stock in that? Which I don't. But it felt like I always love drafting offensive linemen every year, depending on the round, yeah. just because you need to have that depth. And we've seen last year with the Cowboys, you got Jason Peters, who's made of ice at 40 years old, starting in a playoff game because the Cowboys kind of neglected offensive linemen after having three or four straight great years drafting offensive linemen. You know how hard that is to do what Jason Peters did? Like to, incredible. to sit on your couch and then at 40 years old just come in and be a productive member of a playoff team's offensive line? Hall of Famer. Uh, I think based on what he's what he did last year, I think that alone should. And when you look at his body of work, <laughs> this one year, this one, yeah, just one year gets you in the hall of fame. No, when you look at the body of work and then what he did last year, like yeah, that should be that should get him consideration enough. I thought if the Cowboys were going to go center and you know move off of the Biotis experiment, I thought last year when they had a chance to draft uh, Tyler Linderbaum yeah. from Iowa, like that to me, I was like, dude. An Iowa center, like that just screamed like that just screamed like the Travis Frederick pick all yep. over again. Like it's not sexy, but it would have been really smart. But credit to them, man. Tyler Smith has worked out better than a lot of people thought it would. You know who was a really good center last year in the league? Who? Connor Williams. Yeah. I when he was at Texas, honestly, I I really thought that position for him would have been good. I really did. But he just didn't work it enough in college. I just thought like his body type, his athleticism, his ability to reach. Um, yeah, I remember the uh, – oh, man, was it the Cardinals? Yeah, they were playing the Cardinals in a preseason game, and I think there were just like three straight botch snaps in a row. And I was like, yeah, that's uh, – the Connor Williams, the center experiment with the Cowboys, went about as poorly as a position conversion mm-hmm. could go.
So um, so that's a little draft talk. I just wanted to, to get that out there. Let's go ahead and talk, Cam, before we get to some insider stuff. Uh, I do want to look at, again, my colleague Brad Crawford at 24-7 Sports put this together. Uh, this is not a look at the AP Top 25 in 2023. This is a look at how the AP Top 25 will look in 2025. You got your head wrapped around that? A look at what the AP Top 25 will look at will look like in 2025. And would you like to know, Cameron, where the Texas Longhorns come in in an AP Top 25 projection for 2025? This is two years from now. So two years from now, it'll be Arch Manning's second year as the starting. I'm just kidding. Um, five. You hit it right on the head. Really? The man okay. Brad Crawford has Texas at five when you look at an AP Top 25 projection for 2025. Now, this is what Brad says the future looks like for Texas over the next three three seasons to get you there. 2023, national championship contender. 2024, national championship contender. 2025, national championship contender. Do you think Texas is a national championship contender this year, Jeff? Well... I'll say it based on this. If you're talking about my expectation for this team, the bare minimum for this team, like if you want to call it a successful year where I think the bars, I I, I say bare minimum when I mean to say bar, like where the bar should be set to, to clear, I think it's getting to, Ar- getting to Arlington and playing for a Big 12 championship. And if you get yourself to Arlington – you know, you're at the worst. You're nine and three. Ten and two is probably what it's going to take. And honestly, you feel like if you're eleven and one, obviously you feel really good about that. So national championship contender. If Texas is in the Big Twelve title game, it's not that much of a stretch to say they would be in the playoff discussion. Texas hasn't had a season where they've lost less than four games since 2009, though, Jeff. I'm, I'm well, well aware. Which is so hard well for me the track record. to just go from, yeah, we were in the Alamo Bowl last year and we got dominated at the line of scrimmage, but we can definitely be a contender for the title. Now, obviously, there's going to be a year where it just flips, you know, like we saw with, with Michigan under Harbaugh, where it felt like he was never going to get over that hump, and then like that he was. Maybe that's the year for Texas, but it's hard for me. And maybe it's because I've just been a Texas fan the last you know fifteen years. You so have, you have PTSD. No, it's it's you have P- fan PTSD. That's totally fine. But let's make it to Arlington. Let's make it to Arlington first. We've only been there once since the since the conference championship came up, and that was a ten and four season. I just think too, you know, one one thing that I look at and I try to track it, and and, and this is this is why I was hopeful Tom Herman would get over the hump. Uh, when you look at the number of one score losses, the losses in one possession games. Uh, you know, Tom Herman lost a lot. You know, he just played. Tom Herman played too many one possession games, because at the end, it, when it evens out, you're going to be roughly around 500 in one possession games. And I think that was Tom Herman's record. I think he was 14 and 13 in one score games. And you look at the all of Texas' losses last year were one score losses. You know, Alabama at the gun, Oklahoma State. You know, Washington in the bowl game. Just go on down the list. The, the games Texas lost. Or one-score games. The TCU game ended mm-hmm. up being a one-score game. Typically, that stuff, for the most part, doesn't roll over year to year. Typically, if you if It'll you flip, had, right? yeah, if you racked up your losses in one-score games in one year, typically it flips and goes the other way the following year. 
Uh, you know, Baylor's been a really good example of that. Like, if you look at Baylor's two really good years of late, that 2019 season under Matt Rule and then Dave Aranda's 2021 season, go look at how Baylor's record in one-score games in both those seasons. And then look how the following year, and granted they had roster turnover one year was a coaching change, the COVID year, it totally flipped the next year. Typically that stuff flips. That's what doesn't give me pause about thinking Texas – Thinking of Texas as a national championship contender is just like this abstract, outside-the-box idea that just totally seems far-fetched. If we're talking about this team being in the Big 12 championship game and competing for a conference championship, you should be, at the very least, on the fringe of the playoff discussion. And usually what it takes to be a contender is you have a good offensive and defensive line. And I feel pretty yeah. confident in the, where Texas is at in that regard for the first time in a long time. So I, if if you told me that Texas is what ten and two going into the Big Twelve title game, I would believe you. But it's also hard to grasp that, considering that it feels like every oh, year sure, we go yeah. in, it's like okay, this team it could be a sneaky contender. And here the the way too early top twenty five, Texas number five, number six, and then we're sitting at two and two. No, life as a Texas fan for the last thirteen years has been. You know, basically, you've been Charlie Brown, and you're just waiting for you're waiting for the moment when Lucy's going to pull that football away from you. You're just waiting for it, but it's got to flip at some point. And this texture says very appropriately, "We'll know where they are in week two. That's one of those games. This is the, the 2023 team has the opportunity that the 2020 team did not get. I felt like going into that 2020 season. If Texas had been able to go down to Baton Rouge, and granted, LSU had a bunch of opt-outs because of COVID, but let's say that LSU roster was what it was projected to be going into that 2020 season. If Texas going down to Baton Rouge and won that game, that could be like, I mean, I always go back to the 05 season. We talk about the, the different high points in that national championship year, but it all started by going into Columbus and beating Ohio State in the horseshoe. Yep. When you get that kind of big-time road win, that can propel you to – unforeseen heights like like think about what LSU coming into Austin in 2019 and beating Texas what that did for them because the the LSU team that we saw in December and January wasn't wasn't anything like the LSU team that we saw in September that that LSU team at the end of the year was miles better playing with a boatload of confidence and ended up being one of the better offenses we've seen in college football in the last half century I mean, they, they were elite by the end of the year. And and that, that was not an elite LSU team that played Texas early in the year. So maybe, look, I'm not saying Texas is going to go down to Tuscaloosa and win that game. But if they do, if they do, that's the kind of stuff that can propel you to one of those kind of seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just gives you untold confidence. Like, dude, we went on the road. We went to Bama's house and beat Bama. And we feel like we, you feel like you can beat anybody at that point. Now, that's going to translate from – that should give you confidence in your work and in your process and not bleed over into arrogance. That's the, been the problem with Texas winning some of these non-conference games in recent history is it goes from instead of giving you confidence, it just turns into arrogance real quick, and then we've seen how some of these seasons have ended. Or you have that that loss early in the season that kind of sets the program back. It feels like the Maryland losses, like even though – Yeah, that's why I like Tom Herman, the 2018 season – that's why the, the the win over USC, even though we didn't know like how bad USC was going to be by the end, that's why the USC win didn't mean much because you're still thinking, yeah, this is still the team that lost to Maryland two weeks ago. Yeah, a, a not very good Maryland team. Cameron, I'm glad you mentioned line of scrimmage because that's where I wanted to go 
with uh, some tidbits that we've got in the Insider at Hornets 24-7. And I won't go too deep into all of these, but this is just some uh, – the, the one tidbit I really wanted to talk about was dealing with the defensive line specifically. And this is off some of the scrimmage situations that some of our sources were able to watch last weekend. I want to read you uh, these really three tidbits, Cam. They all go together. Said the defense was pretty salty in the red zone, very physical and tough to move up front. They had a heavy package where they put four defensive linemen on the field together at the same time. It was Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat, Vernon Broughton, and Alfred Collins. Another source, if I had to pick a standout on defense, I'd say the entire defensive line was the standout. Tidbit number three, it wouldn't shock me if Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat had the same kind of ears Mauro Ajomo and Keandre Coburn had last year. Those two are a problem on the interior D-line. Now, Cameron, what I took away from that is this. The fact that this defense can be salty in the red zone and it starts up front, that doesn't surprise me at all. The fact that you're telling me that in a, in a scrimmage situation that the defensive line can stand out above all the other position groups, that doesn't surprise me. If you're telling me that Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat can have the same kind of year that Coburn and Ojemo had last year, that doesn't surprise me. And this isn't necessarily a surprise, but this is the thing that stands out. It's not so much Sweat and Murphy doing what Ojemo and Coburn did last year. Can you get out of Broughton and Collins what you got out of Murphy and Sweat last year. Can you legitimately be too deep on your defensive line where it doesn't matter who's in, you're going to get the same level of production? That's the big deal for me, and that's Vernon Broughton. Vernon Broughton's kind of been a steady hand. He needs to take that step, next step of making more impact plays, whereas Alfred Collins is the exact opposite. We've seen him make those splash plays. Now can he take a step, and the step forward for Alfred Collins is, can you get that more consistently? Those two guys, I said it when when they committed to Texas, those are the kinds of guys that are in your defensive line group if you want to talk about being a championship-caliber team. You've got to stack your defensive line with those types of guys. And you've got four guys that could legitimately be four front-line players. But I think it's those two guys. It's Broughton and Collins. I'm not worried about Sweat and Murphy, but if Broughton and Collins can take those steps and get to where they want to, yeah, this defensive line could easily be the best defensive line of the Big 12. Yeah, Collins is the guy for me coming into this year where it's if you like circle, hey, circle one person on each side of the ball that you want to see have a good year. It's Alfred Collins for me. Because, Who's that guy for you on offense, real quick? I would say um, that's a good question. I, I, I'll either lean running back or someone. Either it's got to be Nair or Worthy because I felt like Worthy hasn't had he didn't have the season last year that we thought he was going to have, and maybe that's because of a broken hand. Nair because we've heard so much about him and what he could bring to this offense. We haven't seen him in action for yet. Me, for me, it's Christian Jones. Okay. So you're leaning offensive line. Because I think if Christian Jones if Christian Jones has a has a better year than he had last year, I think you've got the best pair of bookend tackles in the Big 12 yeah. with Jones and Banks. And then that just uh, everything else on your offensive line should filter out from there. See, I, I feel so confident in the defensive line, and maybe uh, maybe I'm just drinking way too much Kool-Aid, but I don't feel that with the skill positions just yet. Because we talked about, I think, last week in Longhorn Oprick about what Bijan and Rojo did to the Texas offense, and now you have that safety blanket gone. Who's going to step up at the running back position? Because we saw in the Alamo Bowl, you know, the running game was – Non-existent, right? We know Brooks had the right. had the hernia issue. We, we didn't really see any of Jaden Blue, I don't think. And now we've heard great things about Cedric Baxter and Blue and Brooks on the receiver side. You know, who outside of Worthy in Jatavian Sanders is going to be that third guy? Yeah, I you know my thing with the running backs, Cam, like 
just going back to the bowl game real quick, I, I still – and he'll probably never say anything publicly. I still want to know, like, what – what Sark's plan in the bowl game was like, I, I just can't, I can't believe that, that he thought lining up and just running Keelan Robinson between the tackles that was going yeah. to work and, unless, and I've said this, I said this on Longhorn Blitz a lot. The only way that's true, if that really was his plan is he was just counting on the offensive line to just go mash Washington. And they underestimated how good of a defensive front Washington had. And they just, they didn't count on losing the battle at the point of attack in the way that they lost it. This goes back to another topic I talked about. You, you've got to be creative with your run game because what Bijan and Roshan did, there's a reason why when we talk about those guys, why we talk about missed tackles forced and percentage of missed mm-hmm. tackles forced, like missed tackles forced per rushing attempt, because those two guys were two of the best, if not the two best in the country at doing that, at maximizing runs. Talk to any coach at any level, high school, college, NFL, not every run play, and as you get up to the higher levels of football, this holds even more true. Not every play is going to be blocked perfectly. At some point, if you're a running back, as I've heard many coaches say over the year, at some point you've got to go be an athlete and go make a play. And you've got to make something out of nothing if you're worth your salt as a running back. And, again, those two guys did that as well as anybody in the country. Now I do think you, you won't necessarily have to count on them as much if your offensive line is improved. But to me, it's going to be figuring out kind of what you want, what you want the identity of your run game to be. I think if you're Sark and you're Kyle Flood, figuring out what you want the identity of the run game to be, that will give you a better idea of who needs to be getting the line share of the carries. Because if you if you want your the identity of your run game to be a more creative, uh, scheme oriented version of what you have last year, in other words, where you're leaning a little more on scheme than talent then I think you go C.J. Baxter and Jonathan Brooks, and then you can sprinkle in and throw Jaden Blue in there too, and then you can sprinkle in you know, Keelan Robinson and, and Savion Red and make use those guys as the multipurpose weapons that they should be. So I just think creativity in the run game is going to be a really big deal. Do you think Sark was less creative knowing that Bijan and Rojo could turn a broken play into a 10-15 yard gain? See, I you the obvious answer would be yes, but I I would think if you know your personnel, you should probably know better than that. That's a, I just think it was an overestimation of what the offensive line could do. That's until I hear different from Sark. And again, it was the bowl game. It's not it's not like it's worth you know him rehashing it publicly at this point. Mm-hmm. I just think it was an overestimation of what the offensive line could do. So, so your guy on offense that you're circling, you've got Nair or Worthy. I'll think about it, but defensively, it's Alfred Collins for sure. And I, this is the thing I wonder with AC: like, does he just need to find a home? Like, he's been a guy that I think the the upside with him and kind of that that tantalizing ability with him is, oh man, just look at his size, his speed, his speed, his strength, kind of like all the raw tools. Man, you could play him at multiple shades. And my thing is, instead of focusing on playing him multiple shades, would he be better off if you just? got him focused on just doing one thing and just working on that one. Maybe that's just all he needs to be consistent, just doing one thing and doing it well. I I compare Alfred Collins a lot to Henry Melton because when they decided finally what to do with Henry Melton, he was a running back and then always going to be like this multi-purpose guy on the defensive line. And then when Will Muschamp got in and decided, no, this is where I'm going to play him, Henry Melton became an NFL draft pick. And that's where I think think Alfred Collins – as long as he doesn't have a terrible year, I think he's going to get drafted just on his metrables alone. I think he's a guy that would, one of those guys that goes to the combine and just blows up the combine. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because of his size, because of his measurables, because of what he can do athletically in the testing. I just think the numbers have to be there for him. But I think probably just focusing him on doing one thing, doing it well, that might be the best thing for him.